بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته starting again with our classes of Umdatul Fiqh and this being the first one of them after a long break uh, I'd like to welcome everybody to the class and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this deed heavy in the scale of good deeds as I know everybody's probably tired it's been a long day at work there's a lot of traffic you've made a lot of effort but remember the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he said man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilm sahalallahu lahu tariqan ila jannah that whoever takes a path seeking knowledge therein then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his path to jannah easy for him so the effort that you have made to attend the lecture of course will be written for you in the hereafter inshallah by Allah's permission in a beneficial way so this book is written by the great Imam Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi, Muwafaq al-Din, Rahimullah Ta'ala. The Imam is well known, he's from the Imams of Ahl sunnah a mountain of knowledge, born in the year 541 after Hijrah. Suffice to say that Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, Rahimullah Ta'ala, said about him, مَا دَخْلَ شَامِ بَعْدَ أَوْزَائِي أَفْقَهُ مِنْ Ibn Qudama. That after Imam Awza'i, nobody entered into the lands of Sham that had more knowledge than this Imam Ibn Qudama al-Maqdasi rahimullah ta'ala. So he's an Imam from the Imams of Ahl Sunnah, and I encourage all of you to go and read his biography because in it you'll be amazed that he reached a high level in many of the Islamic sciences and he was known for his acts of worship and also he was known for his bravery. He made jihad with Salahuddin al-Ayubi rahimullah ta'ala. So the Imam, he, in his introduction to the book, he describes why he wrote this book. Many people are asking him to write an introduction to fiqh, to write a summary of the important masail of fiqh. So that's what he did. He responded to the call and responded to those who were asking him this. And he wrote this book, Umdut al-Fiqh, as a beginner's introduction to the sea, to the world, to the knowledge of fiqh. And in it, from the mizat of the book, from the things which are worthy and praiseworthy in this book that the scholars mention, is that he only mentioned one opinion in the book. And the reason he only mentioned one opinion is so that the reader and the learner at this beginning stage will not become confused. Because many people, when they start out in fiqh, they start to try to absorb more than they can understand. They think they're understanding, but they're not in reality. They're reading two or three different opinions, and none of it is really making sense to them. So the Imam, he knows this because he himself started from a beginner until he became a mujtahid imam, until he became somebody who was very proficient in fiqh. So he wrote this book for the beginner student of knowledge. And also from the miza of this book is that in the matan, they say that it's the phrases, the ibarat are easy to understand. That's what we're gonna find out inshallah if we can understand it easily. I was laughing to myself when I read this, that it's easy to understand. It's easy for some people. But for the most of us, we do find difficulty in understanding these types of texts. But in any case, that's the second praiseworthy benefit of this book. And the third of them that the ulama mentioned is that the imam in this matan, unlike the other matun, he mentions some ahadith and some ayat from the Quran as evidences. And you don't generally find this in the early books, in the early stages of knowledge. In the early matun, for the beginning student of knowledge like ourselves, you generally find that the imams, they just mentioned the masail without mentioning the, uh, the evidences 
or the adilla for those masail. So this book is the first of a series of books that the Imam wrote. The first of them being Umdatul Fiqh. After Umdatul Fiqh, he wrote his book Al Muqni. Al Muqni is similar to Umdatul Fiqh, except that he brings more than one opinion in this book. So he raises the student of knowledge after having the foundation of understanding one solid opinion. He takes him into looking at two riwayat in the madhab, two different opinions in the madhab, and explaining those opinions. The third of these books is known as Al Kafi that Imam Ibn Qadama wrote. Al Kafi, he goes into giving a lot more evidences and explanations as to why this opinion was reached. And the fourth of his books is a book wherein it's basically an encyclopedia of fiqh, known as Al Mughni. This book is a famous book in fiqh, and it not only speaks about the Hanbali Madhab opinions, it goes into the various Madhahib, speaking about the various opinions, and for each one bringing a variety of evidences. And it's well accepted by the people of Ahlul Sunnah as being an uh, amazing piece of work. So the Imam was somebody who was amazing and somebody who was a mountain of knowledge. <coughs> he starts his book after praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and after sending salah upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu He starts his book and he says, Kitabu Tahara. This word kitab, we hear it many times. It comes from the word kataba yaktubu katban. Oh, kitabun. It's master. Kitab is master for this fi'l. Kataba yaktubu. It's the uh, verbal noun. Okay? And it has the meaning of takattab. Takattab means to gather. They said takattab al qawm. Okay? And also katiba to jaysh, for example. The gathering of the army. So kitab has the meaning of gathering. What does it mean here? Kitabu tahara. The gathering of the ideas and words and phrases that will be pertaining to the issue of tahara, to the issue of purification. Okay? So kitab has the meaning of gathering. Tahara, linguistically, comes from nadafa, which means cleanliness. Linguistically, it means cleanliness. Istilahan, when you hear me say the word istilahan, I mean the technical definition now. Okay? So the technical definition of tahara is irtifa'ul hadith wa ma fi ma'nahu wa zawalul khabith. Irtifa'ul hadith wa ma fi ma'nahu wa zawalul khabith. What this means in English is that it's the raising of the state of hadith, okay? And that which is similar to it in meaning and the removal of khabith, which is najasa. I'll break this definition down quickly. Irtifa'ul hadith, the raising of hadith. Hadith, this word, they say, wasful ma'nawi yaqumu fil badan yamna'u min salah wa nahwiha. That this hadith is an intangible state of impurity. It prevents the person, it's found in the body, it prevents the person from doing acts of worship like prayer and other than that. So it's not a tangible thing, you cannot see it. It's a state of intangible impurity, okay, hadith. And it's of two types. You have hadith al-asghar and hadith al-akbar. You have the small hadith and you have the big hadith. What's the small hadith, brothers? <coughs> the small hadith, we mean wudu. That which requires wudu. Okay? The hadith al akbar, the big hadith, that which requires ghusl. Okay? So we said that this word that I'm describing, tahara, purification, is irtifa'ul hadith. It's removing the state of a hadith, whether it be the small hadith or the big hadith. And also that which is similar to it in meaning. What this means is that, for example, you may find somebody making wudu, but he's not making wudu 
to raise the hadith, to remove the state of impurity. He's making wudu and mustahab. He's renewing the wudu. He's not renewing the wudu. He's just doing the wudu for each salah, which is recommended. So he's not making wudu to remove the state of impurity. He's already in a state of purity. But he's doing the wudu once again because this is something which is recommended that for every salah, for the believer to always be in a state of wudu and to make wudu. So this is wa fi ma'nahu. Okay? And then he said, was the walul khabath and the removing of khabath, the removing of filth. So the khabath is najasa, is that which is considered as impure. And it's of two types. It's najasatul aini when najasatul hukmi. Najasatul aini means that which is something which is physical, impure, in and of itself. Like for example, azakumullah, that which comes out of the person when he goes to the bathroom. This is something which is impure. It can never be purified, can it? It's always going to be known as impure. So this is uh, the one which is haqiqi, okay? The other najasa is hukmiya, that which is najas as a ruling. For example, a thobe, if some urine falls upon the thobe, now the thobe becomes what? It becomes impure. But is the thobe always impure? It's not always impure. It's only impure as a ruling for that situation, okay? So there's two types of najasa. The najasa which is always going to be impure in of itself, and the second which is impure as a ruling, temporarily. So this is the meaning of tahara. All of what I've said so far is the meaning of tahara, which was, just to say again, the raising of the state of hadith, okay, which is an intangible impurity on the body, and that which is similar to it, like making a renewed wudu, mustahab, which doesn't remove the state of impurity, because you're, the person is not impure, and also zawal al-khabath, the removing of najasa. Okay? So the Imam, he says, after this, he says, Bab ahkamul miyah. The chapter whereupon he's going to speak about the rulings of miyah, the rulings of waters. He didn't say water. He didn't say the ruling of water. He said waters in its plural. There's different types of water in the Sharia which we're going to come to know, which is tahur, tahir, and najis. Okay? And also you have a variety of different types of water which come from the earth and from the sky. You have the rain, water from the rain, you have the water from the springs, you have the water from the sea, you have water from rivers. So in the books of fiqh, they talk about all of these types of waters, okay? That's why the imam, he mentioned waters in the plural. <clears throat> and why did the imam, as many of the authors do in their books of fiqh, why did he start with the fiqh of water? Why did he start with the definitions of water? Because we need the water for wudu. And wudu is miftah salah, the key for the salah. And the salah is the most important act of worship after the shahadatain, after the kalimat al-tawheed saying la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. So the most important act of worship after that is the salah. As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in many ahadith which we, we've already taken when we discussed the chapters of salah. Bain al-rajul wa shirk wal kufr tarku salah. For example, the Prophet ﷺ said in Sahih Muslim, that between a man and falling into shirk and kufr is the leaving of the salah. So the salah is a very, very important act of worship. And the salah, miftah salah, tahur. And the key to salah is purification. So one, we need to know how to purify ourselves in the proper manner. But before that, we need to know what can we purify ourselves with? Which type of waters? What do we do if we are in doubt about a particular type of water? What do we do in the absence of water? All of these things the Imam is going to teach us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him. Tayyip. So the majority of the madhahib, the majority of the ulama, they believe and they've uh, decided that water is of three types. 
We'll discuss each one of them in more detail in a while. The water is of three types, Tahur, Tahir, and Najis. Okay? And this is based upon the hadith collected by Imam Ahmad, where the Prophet وسلم, he was asked by one of the companions about the water of the sea. Can we make wudu from the water of the sea? The Prophet said, It is pure, it's water for you to make wudu from, and it's halal for you, the dead of the sea. He gave extra information to the companion because that's how the Prophet was. He would always give from his mercy extra information. So the ulama, they say, look here, this companion was asking the Prophet about this water in the sea. Right? Why was he asking about this water in the sea? He knew that it's not najis water, it's not impure water, so that's one category. But he was confused, is it tuhur, which is water that purifies you in wudu and ghusl, or is it tahir water, water which is pure in of itself, but not purifying. So based on this hadith, the ulama, the majority, they say there are three categories of water. And we'll continue the discussion as we go along, inshallah. The imam, he says, He says that water is created in its essence as being pure and purifying. Ma'atuhur is pure and purifying, okay? Tahur, sorry, Ma'atuhur with the fatha and the ta, okay? Pure and purifying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for example, in Surah Al-Furqan, verse 48, Okay? And we have revealed, we have sent down from the heavens water which is pure and purifying. So any water which Allah has created, whether it be from the skies or whether it be from the springs of the earth, then that water is pure, tahur, and purifying. Okay? وَلِقَوْلِ رَسُولُ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم, And also the Imam mentions, because of the hadith that we just mentioned about the sea, هُوَ الطَّهُورُ مَعْهُ الْحِلْمَ مَيْتَتُهُ It is pure, the water, and the dead of the sea are also pure for you. <coughs> so, when the ulama, they say the word tahur with the fatha, they mean the water that you used to make wudu or to make ghusl. And when it's said with the dhamma, tuhur, this is the act of making purification. It's like you have sahur, okay, and suhur. Sahur with the fatha is the thing that you make your suhur with in the mornings of Ramadan. And the suhur with the dhamma is the actual action of doing the suhur. Okay, so this is the difference between tahur and tuhur, fatha and dhamma. With the fatha is the water that you use, and with the dhamma is the act of doing the purification itself. So this tuhur, tahur that we are talking about, the ulama, they describe it as a tahir fi nafsihi, المطهر لغيره وهو باقي على أصل خلقته حقيقة أو حكما. So what this means, الطاهر في نفسه. It is purifying in of itself, meaning the water is pure. Its category is that it's pure. المطهر لغيره. It's purifying for others. يعني people can use it to purify themselves. وهو باقي على أصل خلقته. And it remains upon its natural characteristics of water. So when you look at it, you can tell straight away this is water. You don't look at it and you see that it's mixed with shai, for example, with tea. It's become a soup or it's become a tea. It's upon its natural state of water, in its smell, in its taste, okay? In its smell, in its taste, and its color. It's natural state of water. And what else did the imam say? So it's upon its natural state of water, 
or as a ruling. So this pure water that he's talking about, it's either pure in its original state or something has been mixed with it which is pure but it hasn't affected the natural state of the water like seaweed for example. When you come to a, a large uh, pond of water or you know, uh, something of that effect, you might find, find some seaweed in the water. That won't affect the ruling of the water. Okay? Though something has been mixed with that water, but the ulama, they say that this water still remains pure as a ruling, as a ruling, okay? So, Tahir fi nafsihi al-mutahir li ghayrihi wa huwa baqi ala asli khilqatihi hukman, haqiqatan aw hukman. Tayyib? So, it's pure in itself and it's purifying for others and it remains upon its natural characteristics of water and even if something pure has been mixed with it, then this doesn't affect it in terms of its ruling. The Imam, he says, يُطَهِرُ مِنَ الْأَحْدَاثِ وَالنَّجَاسَاتِ This water is used to purify one from the ahdath and najasat. Ahdath is the plural of hadith. Hadith is the state, the, um, the intangible state of impurity that prevents you from praying and acts of worship. It's either needing wudu or it needs you to make ghusl, okay? So the, the Imam, he's saying, يُطَهِرُ مِنَ الْأَحْدَاثِ وَالنَّجَسَاتِ the tahur water will purify you from the ahdath and you can use it to purify the najasat, uh, the impurities, the khabath that you may find. When the uh, ulama, they talk about najasa, they say the najasa can also be najasa ma'nawi. Najasa ma'nawi also means intangible impurity. So you have najasa, for example, you find some feces that's clear, it's najasa, it's physical. But you also have the intangible najasa which you cannot see. For example, Allah says in the Quran in Surah Tawbah, إِنَّمَا الْمُشْرِكُونَ Najis. Okay, verily, the idolatrous, the polytheists, they are najis. It doesn't mean that when you touch them, you're going to have najis on your hand. It means rather it's a state of intangible impurity. So that's also to add to the, men, to the information we gave about najis. The Imam, he says, فَلَا تَحْصُلُ الطَّهَارَ بِمَاءٍ غَيْرِهِ This tahara that we want to do and learn about, the wudu or the ghusl, or the removing of the filth that you may find on the ground, it cannot take place except with this water. Which water? Tahur. Okay, pure in itself and purifying for others. This Tahur water is the only water that you can use for wudu or that you can use for making ghusl or for purifying something filthy that you may find on clothing or on the ground. Because in Surah Nisa, verse 42, Allah Azawajal mentions, فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً فَتَيَمَّمُوا صَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا if you do not find water when it comes to purifying yourself, what did Allah guide us to? He said, Go ahead and use the pure earth to purify yourselves if you cannot find water. So this verse is a proof that if you cannot find water to purify yourself with, then you cannot use other liquids like a cup of tea or orange juice or something of that sort to go ahead and make wudu or to make ghusl with. What do you have to do if you don't have water? You go ahead and you make tayammum. So the verse is telling us that the only thing that you can purify yourself with is pure water. And also the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, in, narrated by Abi Dawood and Tirmid and others, The Prophet ﷺ said, Verily, the pure earth is purification for the Muslim even if he doesn't find water for 10 years. So again, proving that if there's no water, you don't go to other liquids, you have to go to tayammum. So all of this is proving what the Imam is saying, that the thing, that purification cannot be made with other liquids other than water. 
This is what the Imam is saying, okay? So this is the opinion of the majority. Imam Abu Hanifa, may Allah have mercy upon him, and some of the Hanbali scholars, uh, they said that actually you can use other things for the removal of the najasa. Like if you find some, uh, somebody, some animal has defecated somewhere, okay? Uh, it's, not it's not a necessity that water has to be used to remove this najasa. What they said is, for example, if the wind comes along and it blows this najasa away, and then the sun comes out and it dries up the najasa, and nothing is left from the najasa except for some ether, some stain. It doesn't really affect you if you touch it. He said, all of this now means that that place has been purified. What was it purified with? Was it purified with the water? No. It was purified by the wind and it was purified by the sun. Why did they say this? They say because Al-Hukam Yaduru Ma'illatihi Wujudan Wa'adman. In the rules of Asul al-Fiqh, in the rules of jurisprudence of Islamic fiqh, there's a rule. That the hukam, the ruling, is found due to its cause, whether the cause is there or not there. Meaning that if, for example, the cause for making wudu is what? Is that you are in a state of impurity. So if the impurity is there, you have to make wudu. That's the ruling. The ruling is the wudu. But why did the wudu come about? It came about because of the illa. What was the illa? The cause? The cause was that you were in a state of impurity. You were in a state of hadith al-asghar. But if that illa is not there, hadith al-asghar, then you don't have to make wudu. Okay? So here the imam, they say that if the impurity has been removed, then the ruling has been removed. Whether it was removed by water or not. Okay? The, the, the fact of the matter, the, the thing which is needed is that the impurity be removed. So the fact that the wind removed the impurity and the sun removed the impurity, that's what suffices. So they say based upon this rule in al-fiqh, okay, that that suffices. So anything can be used to remove impurity. This is the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa and some of the Hanbali scholars. And also, they have evidence from the hadith of the Prophet because in some hadith, the Prophet taught, for example, the hadith of Salman al-Farsi, radiyallahu anhu, how to purify ourselves if we go to the bathroom. He said to use what? Stones, right? You can use stones, three stones. So stones is not water. So the stones is used to remove the filth. So again, the important thing is that if the filth is removed, that is what suffices. It's not essential to use water according to the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa and some of the scholars. But our Imam, who we're taking from, he said, like the majority, that only pure water can remove your state of hadith or can remove filth, okay? But why it's interesting to know the second opinion is because in today's day and age, when you go to the dry cleaner, what do they use to clean your thobes? Huh? They use some chemicals and they use steam. They don't use water. Steam, it hardly has any water in it. But the ulama of today, they say that suffices. Because like Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimullah said, the point is that the najasa is removed, okay? But our Imam, and the thing I'm going to test you on that you have to memorize, his opinion, is that only pure water can remove the state of hadith or remove the filth which is found in various places. The Imam, he says, and we'll finish with this point, inshallah. The Imam, he says, if water reaches a state of being qullatayn, I'll come to explain what this qullatain is. Okanajarian, <clears throat> or the water is running water. It's not still water, it's not stagnant. It's running water like a flowing stream. Okay? Then nothing makes that impure. 
If the water reaches a state of qullatayn, or it's running water, then nothing makes it impure, except that which changes one of its three properties due to najasa, due to impurity. One of the three properties, meaning the color of the water, the smell of the water, or the taste of the water, is changed due to impurities falling into that water. So first thing, what is this qullatayn that the Imam is talking about? Qullatayn, <coughs> the Imam, he mentions later on, a definition, but this is a very old definition, like, you know, six, seven hundred years ago, which people don't use anymore. But from the definitions of today that the people mentioned, the ulama they mentioned, he says, think of a tank, which is an arm's length and a quarter in length and in depth and in width. Okay, so something maybe the size of this table. Okay, so something maybe the size of this table, an arm's length and a quarter in height, in width and in depth. Okay, <coughs> tank of this measurement, this is qullatayn. Some of the ulama, they said it's 307 liters. Okay, who said that? Sheikh Abdullah al-Bassam, he said that in Nail al-Ma'arib. Sheikh Abdullah al-Bassam, he said that in his explanation of Nail al-Ma'arib. And he's one of the scholars who actually explained this book as well, Umdat al-Fiqh. He said it amounts to about 307 liters. In any case, it's like we said, a tank the size of this table or so, or around 300 or so liters of water. What is this based on? The Prophet ﷺ said, as in narrated by Imam Ahmad, Abi Dawood, and Tirmidh, and others, he said, If water reaches qullatayn, this size, then it doesn't carry impurity. Then nothing makes it impure except something changes one of its three characteristics due to impurity. Uh, the taste, the color, the smell. Due to an impurity, due to an najasa falling into that water. Tayyib? And so this is based upon the hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said, if water reaches this much, then it doesn't become impure. The Imam, he also mentioned running water. So I said to you running water. Why? Because Imam Bukhari mentions the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, لا يبولن أحدكم في الماء الدائم الذي لا يجري ثم يغتسل فيه That none of you should urinate into stagnant water which doesn't run and then make ghusl from it. Okay? None of you should relieve himself in stagnant water which doesn't run, flow and then make uh, ghusl from it right, so the, the hadith is clear that if the water is not running then the impurity will affect it okay, but if it's running water the opposite understanding then it won't be affected, right because the prophet mentioned stagnant water but if it's running water, it means that the water will purify itself and somebody if they are desperate and they have nowhere else to go they are allowed to use that type of running water to uh, relieve themselves. But it shouldn't be done. I'm just saying if it had to be done. Of course, this is not from the etiquettes of the Muslim. We know Muslims need to use water. We go ahead and use it to relieve ourselves. This is not allowed. But I'm just saying that if you did see somebody do that, you don't have to beat them up. The water is still going to be pure, inshallah. Running water has the power to purify itself, okay? It will purify itself. I think we'll stop there inshallah for a first session. If you're on the fiqh group, you can post any questions pertaining to the lesson if there was anything that confused you and I will try to clarify that for you inshallah. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakumullah khair. May Allah reward you immensely. Anything correct was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any mistakes and shortcomings were from myself and shaitan. Please do spread the word. Please do remind the brothers who used to attend and make the effort to start attending once again. Jazakumullah khair. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.